So as I just said um, prior to this, I genuinely apologize for any uh, just ad hoc nature that threw you off. But you've been such you know an amazing trooper with this entire experience. Um, just for context for the listeners, and and then we'll literally just ju ju jump right back into the conversation we just had. Reached out to you on Twitter. You were very responsive. Scheduled a call ad hoc. Understood your background. Literally paused you in the middle of you giving your backstory and said, let's just record in a couple hours. You said yes. Um, recording history, music, personal development, um, just overall good guy, Canada. Those are the themes that we talked about. And <laughs> um, and then inevitably you were going to be diving into just backing up a bit into the music industry and, and how you got into the, the, to the, to the record label and the, the independent label at, at that. And uh, yeah, so I'm giving an overall synopsis. If anyone's listening, I'm wondering why I'm kind of expediting it because I want to get to the good stuff, but at the same time, I want to give a backstory. So Talon, thank you. Let's hop into literally what we just tried to do like 90 seconds ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. So my background in the music industry like I would say all artists, they, there's usually that one moment they have when they're younger where they see someone that they admire, like a, an artist, like um, for some people, maybe it was ACDC. For others, I, I think in dance music, it was Tiesto. For me, it was Dead Mouse. I remember flipping through the channels back in the day when there wasn't Netflix, it was all cable and all that. And it was on MTV. It was Dead Mouse live at Rogers Stadium in Canada. And I was like, damn, that is so cool. Like, I would just love to do that bought ableton started producing the next day seven years later it was roughly around maybe like five five to seven years and i ended up meeting this guy that uh, owned a record label he had like high net worth he was starting up a record label he was just like super passionate about music he built this amazing recording studio and um electronic based studio in his house and he's like i, I want to sign you to the label as an artist coach so I was releasing music and I was writing my own music, but my main job was that he wanted me to oversee every project that went through the label, which for any musician is an absolutely insane opportunity. He's like, I'll pay you a wage plus commissions on anything that, or any tracks that we do. And to give you an idea of like where I worked every day, like I'm around, I think 21 years old. Yeah. I would have signed just before I was 21 because I had to wait to go to Vegas I wasn't old enough to go for the first Vegas trip, so I had to miss it. And he lives in this like mansion that overlooks a lake, and there's Versace logos on the doors, on the windows. There's like an in-ground swimming pool with like a basketball hoop there, and then there's this incredible studio inside. And he's like, "Yeah, I just want you to come here every day for like nine to twelve hours. We're gonna produce music, hang out, uh, just like drink. It, it is like literally the the lifestyle that you can imagine it would be if you just picture like what would it be like to be a full-time artist? It's like hang out, write music. Um, like people are vaping, we're swimming in the swimming pool, where there's like luxury cars in the driveway. It, it was such a crazy experience to happen in my early 20s. I, I'm so grateful for it. And what I would say, when I look back on it now, it's it's so interesting because I'm still so, so close with um, the guy who owned the label. We're still like almost best friends, like to this day, even though we don't live in the same city anymore. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity. But the thing that was so weird was I worked for years and years and years to get there. And I just remember not being as happy as I thought I would be. And it was a huge like life lesson that I told myself for five, six years, when I get this, I'm going to be happy. Like that's all that I want in my life. 
I'm willing to suffer today and put in all these crazy work hours, writing music and learning the craft. And I wasn't really happy while I was doing it, but I told myself I would be once I got to that destination. And I remember waking up one day to go to work and thinking, I love the people I work with. Like this is cool, like mansion that anyone would want to work in. But like, why am I just not that excited to go to work? And it was the weirdest feeling. It's like, it was this mixed feeling of, okay, I'm, I like what I do, but it's also, there's something missing. And I, I wasn't quite sure what it was. And it was something that I now look back on and th- feel almost bittersweet about this crazy time of partying and writing music and going to shows and watching some of the artists I coach play main stage festival slots and being like, wow, like, I can't believe I'm a part of this. And then there was this other side of me that just felt like it wasn't right. And there was something wrong. And I, I eventually came to the realization that I, I got into music for the wrong reasons. I, I had gotten into it for the status and what it would be like the whole idea that you can buy into of popping bottles in Vegas and going to clubs and having everybody want to know your name. And even that side of things wasn't what it was chalked up to be. And I think it was a really amazing thing to experience in my early 20s because it's really changed the trajectory of the rest of my life. Okay, let's let's do this for a minute. <laughs> let's back all the way up because you just said a lot here for a second. Huh? Let me let me <laughs> let me let me catch let me catch a lot of this context here. So, again, to do a nice nice little summary here, independent label. I want to know a little bit more about that for a minute, like twelve seconds on that pool. I'm assuming you know beautiful human beings, right? I think we're in a world where whether it's men, women, whatever your sexual preference is, just beautiful people, creative people, artistic people just around um, um alcohol, uh music, um just just a lifestyle that that you would see in in an entourage HBO show or or a movie um in the magazines, right? And 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 when you think about like you said you know what it's like to be an artist what it's like to um navigate the, the 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 career of being in the music industry it was exactly what you had in your mind my question is this though because that just in itself is just objectively crazy like that in itself is just because i don't think most people's first crack and i know this wasn't your first crack obviously you've been putting in a lot of hard work behind the scenes but i don't think most people first quote unquote crack at even getting to a level where they're able to make a salary. I know for a fact by just homies that I know that have attempted to get to a certain level, it typically doesn't look like that even once you get to the highest levels, right? Um, for the first time, I, you know, I know, you know, I was listening to a Big Sean, the rapper, uh, he was telling a story about when he signed to Kanye West the very first time, you know, I think he got, I think he said he got $27,000 and, you know, he was driving himself to different shows and, and the studio and even the studios themselves <laughs> were not the most uh, aesthetically pleasing. And just the experience was such a grind. It seemed like for your first time, the experience was literally like a movie, which I want to get your just honest opinion on that because that is very interesting in itself. The second question is this as well, kind of layered and connected to that. What was your actual, like, give me the more contextual nuance of your role within the indie label. I'm very fascinated by indie labels. I'm very fascinated by, you know, because I'm assuming at the time you weren't the biggest artist or even not an artist. It seemed like you had more of a behind the scenes role to kind of help. It seemed like you maybe had an A&R producer, engineer type role um, 
So give me give me a little bit more context about just what, what was your first gut reaction on even getting to that level. Again, kind of like in your first time slash crack at getting to that level and, and experiencing it at such a high level aesthetically. And then what was it like with the actual structure of your role? Sure. Um, I, I think I'll start with like the structure of the role and then we can go into the other stuff of it. So the role originally when I was signed, it was as an artist and I was in a duo and the the other artists on the label weren't quite as proficient as I was at producing and whatnot. So originally I was just making music. I was playing shows and, and I actually didn't enjoy playing shows a whole lot. That's what pushed me behind the scenes was I thought I would really enjoy going on the weekends, like staying out late, playing shows, being behind the decks. And it, it soon to me just became a little monotonous. I didn't love it as much as I thought. So my, I went to the label and was like, hey, can I just like hang out at the HQ and produce if the other guy that I'm in a duo with goes and does the shows? And the label's like, yeah, no problem, as long as somebody plays it. And the guy was cool that he he loved playing shows. He wanted to be like in that spotlight. That was his whole thing. So that was how it slowly started to transition. And I started going behind the scenes and working with some of the other artists there. And it was really a producer role, more or less. Um, I did a lot of sound design, songwriting, mixing, mastering, uh, the whole shebang. Like Just any artist that came in, didn't even matter the genre. It could be pop. At the time, I was very dance music focused. There was some dubstep that I wrote. There was some hip hop. There was Melbourne Bounce, Trance. Like It was like literally everything. Just whatever. I just come in and whatever the artist was working on, they're like, hey, sit down and just start writing with them. I'm like, oh, okay. So I, I slowly became like a jack of all trades of electronic music, just learning how to produce it all. And, and that really was my day to day was just showing up, having a little bit of a grabbing a coffee, which th this guy had some of the strongest coffee imaginable. Like he actually ordered it from another country. I still have no idea where he got it from, but he wanted like the highest caffeinated coffee in the world. So he got it Im imported to Canada. And we would sip this like crazy strong coffee in this uh, in the studio all day and just write music on a computer with uh, with basically MIDI controllers and keyboards. So that was the day to day and what what that ended up looking like. And it was it was insane. Like it's like you said it it was like a legit Hollywood movie. And I still to this day can't even believe it happened. And it's um, in answering your first question a bit like what was it like? So this indie label is I would say an anomaly of indie labels because a lot of times. People get into record labels because they love music. They want to uh, produce. They want to have other artists. And they, they want to slowly build that community. This individual that started it, which I'm just keeping a lot of the names uh, to myself because I'm not sure how much they want known from behind the scenes of stuff, is he was like very high net worth. Like he came from other industries and had an insane net worth. Like driving a, a vehicle that was worth like a quarter million or something crazy. So he started a label with a massive financial backing. And I think that's what gave us this really crazy Hollywood feel was it was a really only indie label probably around that just had started. And we were like a Hollywood movie because of the background that he came from. And it was like the most crazy whirlwind ever. And I, that's also part of what I think led me to not like it as much though. And I think a lot of, maybe somebody else with a different personality would have enjoyed this, but what I soon came to realize is like you're, you're 20 years old and you're driving around in like a quarter million dollar vehicle. And you're at first you feel like a total baller. You're like, this is nuts. Like everyone's turning their heads, like looking at us. It's really cool. And it's cool for a while until everyone who starts coming around 
is just there to take selfies with the place you're staying at, with the vehicles you're driving, in your studio. Like I, I remember loving the people I worked with. They were incredible, creative people. I loved the artists. It was so awesome. But a lot of the entourage, I never really felt that connected to. And it was very odd. Like they would show up and always be like, hey, we just want to take pictures in front of your car and like post it on Instagram. Or hey, there's like a Versace logo here and like the pool. We're going to put on our swimsuits and we're just going to hang out and take a bunch of selfies and post it on Instagram. And they were never really connecting with any of us. We, even though they were around, it was nice to have, like you said, uh, beautiful people, not even in the creative sense, but there was like obviously beautiful women around and whatnot too. And it, it is really cool for a while until you realize that none of them are really there for who you are. Like they're not there because of our character. They're there for what we do, not for who we are. And that's where I started to not like it quite as much as I felt like I was surrounded by people who didn't really have my best interest in mind, aside from the couple of people I worked with. And it was, it was weird. It's this odd, lonely feeling of having everyone around and feeling like you don't really connect with anyone. And it, it really changed my outlook on a lot of things to do with like buying fancy cars, living in really nice places and what it would be like to be that individual. Cause I, I got to live it at an extremely young age. No, it makes a ton of sense, dude. For me, what I just heard is number one, their ideals. And, and actually tell, let me ask you this. Are you... Are you someone that curses or minds curses? Or are you like very religious or what's your background? No, I don't mind cursing, man. I actually, I do swear like a, a decent amount, but I, uh, yeah, I, I'm okay with either or okay. uh, nothing to do with like religion or anything. Like we, we can definitely curse and whatnot. Okay. So you don't give a fuck. Is this, this nah, no, nah, man, it's all good. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, all right. So I can be uh, a little, even more myself. Um, so, cause what I was going to say was number one, it seemed like these, you know, the ideals of these humans that you were around, it seemed like it was just completely fucked, right? They had no value base. It seemed like they were very aesthetic driven, a very, um, very vanity driven, which I actually resonate with, with what you were saying a lot more than I actually resonate with what they were feeling or trying to chase. It's actually a lot of the reason why I started the podcast, right? When you think of the name Project Legacy Lifestyle Values, when I think about legacy, I don't think about the financial elements of legacy. I think about kind of the the value sets that I want to leave to my children, the 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 type of um, the type of husband and father that I want to show that my daughter should, should try to aspire to, to to try to marry or be like, whatever the case is going to be. When when I think about life values, when I think about lifestyle, when I think about all these things, it's very much more on the emotional factors of life. And you probably have seen that through the podcast and through other things that I've tried to to do, I'm very, very similar in the fact that one of the reasons why I, I genuinely started this podcast is because I felt like in my personal life, not my business life so much, but in my personal life, I was having very shallow, empty conversations with human beings that were around me and they were there in my life for the wrong reasons. We were having conversations that were no longer meaningful to me and I felt very empty and I couldn't understand where this this sense of 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 depression slash confusion uh, came from. So um, it's actually in, in a fun way the, the literal origin story of this particular medium, this particular podcast. Because and you've listened to this and so much like, and I appreciate it. Most of what we talk about, outside of the fun things that we talk about, has a lot more has a lot more emotion and a lot more value base and a lot more. Um, purpose behind it you know we're not just saying things we're not just having conversations just because 
I genuinely want to leave a mark or I genuinely want to make a real deep connection with another human where we're talking about things that are that are um, going to support us long term or support the listeners long term. So I completely understand what you're saying. And I and I and I totally agree with why that probably began to not be as attractive for you. And, and I really love what you're doing here, like everything you just said about legacy values. Like, I, I absolutely love it. And in the world that we live in, I think we need a little more of that. Because younger people are really growing up on social media. And there is this, um, I almost want to call it like, it's a bit of a facade that, you know, people are making decent money, renting Lamborghinis, posting stuff on Instagram. Like there's quite a materialistic uh, status driven push in our culture. And I, I don't see anything wrong with striving to be better. And you know what, if you want to own a sports car one day, like ever since I was a kid, I've loved Lamborghinis. Like full disclosure, I know it's kind of like the cliche rich person car. But to me, I've always loved a Lamborghini. And in my 40s, I would love to get one or even just lease one for a year to see what it'd be like to drive a Lambo. But that, that's for me. Like I, I know that I'm doing that for me and not just because I want to look um, like better to the world. I like pump my ego up. Like it's, it's more that'd be like a gift to myself for becoming really successful. So I love that you're creating this podcast around values, legacy, like how do we um, like raise a generation that values things that are meaningful and really fill them up emotionally and not just, you know, for a couple months and they're like, well, what, what else is there out there? What's next? No, I, I totally agree. And the last thing I'll say on that as well is, you know, um, I'm the same way, but like with watches, like I just got done the, leaving the jewelry store a few hours ago and, you know, I bought like this $1,500 watch and, and I, and I buy them, very similar to the reason why you wanted to drive the Lambo. I, I buy it for me. I buy it because I, I, I respect the, the auditory and the craftsmanship of it. And it's usually connected to like trophies and, and accomplishments in my life that I personally connect with. It's not, again, like you were saying, it's not to take the Instagram photo. It's not to, it's not to, to hop on TikTok and, and do a, and do a little dance too, and, and show off the, show off the watch. So I, I totally agree. And I understand, um, so let's do this. Let's speed up this way. You realize that that particular industry was not going to be for you. What was that breaking point? Was there a was there a depressing moment? Was there a, an awful moment? Was there a disconnect with a few internal team members where it kind of like just all came a, came to a head for you? Because that's what I realize in life. Normally, when you have a gut feeling about something isn't right or something's just not clicking. There's typically a, a tipping point in a moment. Was, was there one for you during this this situation? There's a couple of moments I can think of um, that led me to the tipping point. And the tipping point for me actually was kind of external and a little more out of my control. But so I remember going to LA and it was actually it was a really fun trip that we had. But the people I was with, um, they were very network focused. And at the time I was a bit more introverted. I liked being behind the scenes. And uh, I love networking and meeting new people, but these people would walk up to people they didn't know and just like pretend like they were super close and really bro-y and I was backstage at some shows and these guys would come up to me and they're like, oh, hey, you work with like this label and they'd shake my hand and they it was they would act like we were best friends. And that always rubbed me the wrong way because I'm someone who really likes to get to know someone a little bit before like really being like, okay, we're like super close, we're best friends. And I found everyone I was surrounded with or meeting always would act like we were best friends all the time, but I knew they didn't really have my back. Like it was more of a surface level networking thing. And I didn't really like being in that whole lot. So like maybe this industry is not for me. I think musically, one of the tipping points was there was this artist that 
um, showed up and he was getting a track ghost written. So for those listening, ghost writing is when somebody else produces the song and you sell it to someone to release. And this guy sat in the studio and uh, I was sitting there. I didn't work on this particular record, but I was in the studio hanging out, working on something else while the, while the ghost writer was doing his thing. And he wrote the whole track in probably like four hours. And then the whole rest of the weekend, the guy that paid for the production walked around like talking about how he wrote the song and it was all him and every idea was him. And all of us there were like, dude, like we know you didn't write it. We were in the studio. And he's like, no, you guys don't understand. Like no one writes their own music. Everyone just pays people to write their music. Like you guys have it all wrong. We're like, but then dude, like someone had to write it though. Like one of us wrote it for you. He's like, no, no, you just don't get it. Like you're supposed to pay for music. No one in the industry writes their own music. And it was kind of stuff like that that did start to rub me the wrong way. I'm not even against ghost production. I think from a business perspective, it makes a ton of sense. It's a great business model to maximize efficiency and profits. But like just hanging around with people like that who are almost, I would say, like delusional, (laughs) like they're paying someone else to write their music and then they're walking around trying to tell the people who wrote it that it was like all their idea and how good the song was. And they're so excited on this new track. They put all this effort into and we're like, dude, we, we were here like we knew that you didn't write it that's like what what the heck and like it was those kind of two things combined uh, as well as like other things that started to really push me away from it and where i officially ended up leaving was the label relocated to another city and the owner's like hey like we remote wasn't really a thing back then this is still um i'm trying to think how long ago this was now like five or six years ago maybe like remote wasn't as much of a possibility and they said you know if you want to move to uh, across canada to the east with us we're going to put a bunch of people in a house and we're all just going to like really go hard for like a couple of years and try to make it in the industry and really make big names for ourselves. Are you in? And I had that moment where I sat there and just was like, who like everything I've experienced and I'm already not getting the best feeling about this. Do I want to relocate and, you know, be away from all my family, all my friends for this potential opportunity that would be a really fun couple of years, but I don't think it's going to fulfill me. And I ended up saying, you know, I I don't think I'm going to make that move. And I think I'm going to transition into something else. And that was when I officially walked away from that lifestyle. And and how are, how old are you now? I'm 27, 27. Okay. I'm 31. So I think, and so you're talking at this time, like you said, this is your early twenties. And I'm sure that was a tough decision to, to make, to, to potentially walk away from that. But, you know, to wrap up this piece in your life, you Everything that I heard, I can sum it up this way. You felt something in your gut. You felt a gut feeling. Um, you felt misaligned with a story that you wanted to inevitably live. And, and the story that you were living in currently was just not aligned with that future set and those future ideals and those future values. And, and you felt that. And, and I tell people all the time, I tell my fiance, I tell myself, I tell my mother, we know we're not aligned to something, right? There's you know, I studied neuroscience for many years, connected to my business and some other things that I, I do in my boring life. And so I know a thing or two about some things and, and, and energy, energy is very much a real thing that I think human beings tend to not pay attention to. I think we pay a little too much attention to our logical brain and what technically will make sense based off of, well, if we make this decision and we do that right thing, then we'll position ourselves to go here and then we'll be able to meet this person and get into this type of, you know, this type of a job or this type of a network. And then, da, 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 da. you know, it's, it's very logical, which I totally get because I make a ton of logical decisions every day. But at the same time, there's emotional decisions that you maybe don't have a metric that you can point to why this is the right decision, but you just know 
it's the fucking right decision. <laughs> um, and so <laughs> just to wrap it all up, I'm assuming that was what you were feeling at the time when you walked away. Oh, 100%. Like, I, I agree with everything you said. Like, you, there are logical decisions, and we need to be very careful with the types of decisions we make, and that part of it is really important. But I think that all all decisions are really backed by emotion. That's like, um, you know, persuasion and psychology uh, 101, that like emotion really guides everything. And we know when we're not in alignment with our values. And if, if we want any results long-term, like there's, there's a bigger talk here to be had where we have to align like what we're feeling emotionally and then think forward with logic and rationality to really get those long-term results. And I did have that feeling that I would be able to do this day to day, but my heart just wouldn't be in it. Like another way to frame it. And that I really wasn't going to be fulfilled and happy. And my purpose was elsewhere. All right. Let me, let me throw you off. Not throw you off. Actually, let me attempt to throw you off, but I'm assuming it won't because this is, this is your fucking tweet. So you probably actually know what the fucking say about this. Uh, <laughs> let me throw a curveball in here for a second, I guess. Um, you put out a tweet about 16 hours ago. You said, imagine how happy you'd be if you realized happiness is a choice. I'm not going to ask you to break that tweet down. I'm going to ask you to tell me a, a perspective about this. I agree with this tweet, actually. What, what's some of the groundwork that has to happen before this tweet can actually come true? So follow with me here. If happiness is a choice, which I agree with, what do you think the groundwork mentally, right? Like, like what, what, what does one do to prepare themselves to actually realize and understand that happiness is a choice. What are the small wins leading up to the fact that you're like, you know what? Yeah, I'm understand. I'm I'm underestimating how happy I could be, and I'm not even realizing that happiness could be a choice, and it is a choice, and I need to live into that choice. Like, what's the what's the groundwork? Because I believe there is groundwork to do, and I believe the roadmap of how to inevitably get to the point where you can say happiness is a choice. I believe there's a couple steps along that process. I don't know if you ever thought of it from that angle, but um, just an ad hoc question that came to mind as I was scrolling through your Twitter feed here. Mm -hmm. No, it's a fantastic question. I like your angle on the question too. Is like what has to be in place for this to happen? It's a, it's something that I like to do personally where it's like, okay, if there was a thought, like what would you have to think for that thought to be? Yeah. That's exactly what that thought. Yep. Yeah. So I think that a lot of people are unhappy because they base their happiness on externalities in, in particular. I think that they believe their life would be better. Well, not necessarily better, but that they would be happier if they didn't have external problems. But we're always going to have external problems. So I do believe one of the first big steps to take in order to make the choice of being happy is to detach happiness from external problems. And I think for me, I had this realization after I read A Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. So like a quick, um, no, I'm not sure if you've read it, but a quick overview of it is that Frankel, being a psychologist, he got abducted into like Auschwitz and he tells a story about how he was able to survive a concentration camp because he had something worth living for. And that even in like the darkest of times, you can find meaning in your suffering and you can find peace inside yourself. That there, there can be a detachment there where you can be grateful for the moment, even if things are bad. And in acknowledging that we're always going to have problems and a, a big part of life is just always working through those problems, I've been able to detach my happiness from it and say, you know, if I'm, I might as well be happy today and be grateful for the things that I do have 
while I'm overcoming these problems. Because if, if problems are going to make me miserable, then I'm going to be miserable my entire life. That's a great point. You got me thinking. Let me ask you this. Do you think there's a baseline? Let me let me get vulnerable and personal here for a second. Um, my mother, I'll give you a perfect, I'll give you a very simple example. My mother still to this day fluctuates between having $17 in her account into her account negative $86 in her account, $740 in her account, shuffling around car notes and things of that nature, which I think throughout your early 20s and even maybe your early 30s, everyone to some degree has been through those moments. Um, but I think as you get into 40, 50, 60 years of age, kids, things of that nature, you would like to think you don't go through or won't go through or shouldn't go through some of those issues. Do you... When I hear folks like you, when I say like you, folks that are really trying to make not only personal development, but make conquering the, 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 the crazy complexity of the mental mind a focus of life, I always ask myself, which, what's like the, the, the prerequisites? What's the, what's the, what's the baseline of, of, of shit you have to have together to be able to at least say, you know, happiness is a choice, right? Um, I think, let me throw you off again or, or throw something in here again. At 19 and early in my life, I spent 18 months in, in jail. And I'm, that's just a random thing that many people don't even know, even in this podcast medium. I'm now 31, so I've obviously persevered through that and done a lot of different things. I made a lot of mistakes to be able to obviously be in jail for 18 months. In that moment, though, and I tell people all the time, in that moment, that was the first time that I realized that when you literally have nothing, in that moment, there is a level of gratitude and, and emotional safety that you can dig and dig and dig to find. So in one element, when it seems like nothing fucking is working, I was able to find a certain level of peace. And I think I was able to find that peace because I felt like God gave me another opportunity to start over. And that's, a, I know that's a weird way to look at it because when you're in jail, you're at a blank slate. Your overhead is taken care of. Your food is taken care of. Everyone that you know and love is no longer there physically. So you don't have any responsibilities. You literally have like a, like a fresh sheet of white paper and you can just draw your entire world. And that's inevitably how I created all the brands and met my beautiful fiance. I just drew it all out and just really strategically navigated it. But so that's one element of it. But on the other side of it, I look at my mother to this day and I do ask myself quite literally, can she actually choose happiness? Because in the world that she's playing in the reality that she's living in, I question if she does have the prerequisites in order, the prerequisites of shit together because my, my guts, I'm ranting now. Here's, here's my actual question, right? In, in the statement. Let's say she were to have not a lot of money, but no debt, right? Let's say she were to have not a great job, but a decent job. Maybe she were to not be perfect health, but no issues with health. Maybe not the perfect marriage, but not a you know husband that's literally dying and has showed her no level of affection for 15, 20 years, right? Like, is there a baseline where she could then look at that thing called happiness and say, yep, that's a choice. Or on the complete opposite point, you know, Talon, 
can it be someone like me where your whole life aesthetically to the world, to the regular world, to the common man looks like you're fucked. And I'm sitting there like, yeah, this is the happiest I've been. It's time to start this over again. What are your thoughts on that whole rant I just gave? I have a few things that come to mind when I think about it. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with framing and the way that we see the world. I believe focusing on what's within our control and understanding that there are certain things that are out of our control, like that, that seems like old age wisdom of Eastern philosophy is like the way, like um, be like water, you know, flow, like um, go with the flow. Like that, when I really break down that type of wisdom, it makes me think, okay, you know, you, it's really hard to try to change the direction of the river or to go upstream. But if you start going with it and focusing on paddling your way around the rocks, now you have a little bit more control uh, of your life, and which sounds paradoxical because you're relinquishing control, but it, you're relinquishing control over the things that you can't control and you're focusing on just what's within your control. And I think in doing that, the, our expectations start to change because now a lot of the things that make people unhappy are really out of their control. Like we think about getting cut off in traffic and someone's like, you're like, oh, this guy cut me off in traffic or, oh, this person in, in like the lineup in front of me was just talking loudly or taking forever and now i'm late for work like i'm just i'm in such a bad mood like all these a lot of these things are externalities and when you just start to say you know what i'm only going to focus on the things within my control and not allow these things outside my control to really sway my emotions as much this does take some time to develop but there's a paradigm shift that has to happen for that to happen and, and I'll, I'll relate this to my own life and this i think is the second piece to this that i want to add similar to your story, but in my own way, I, I've never been to jail, but that, that's a crazy, crazy experience. I can imagine that has shaped your life so, so much. I'm having that experience being younger is when I was younger, I'm thinking 19. I remember I was very miserable. I was very resentful. Whenever anyone was successful, I was like, well, they got lucky. And whenever anyone was like being really nice and smiling, I'm like, well, what do they have to smile about? Like the world is terrible. Like everything, like people are terrible. The world is terrible. I was just a really bitter person. And because of that, I wasn't able to get the things that I truly wanted deep down. If I was honest with myself, like, what do I really want? I want loving connection. Like I'm, a, I'm quite an agreeable person from a personality types perspective and agreeable people tend to want relationships. Disagreeable people tend to want to win in competition. I'm a more agreeable person. So I always wanted amazing relationships with friends, with family, with romantic partners. And when you're really resentful and deceitful and just like angry at the world, I could never have those relationships because friends would walk away from me. Our romantic partners would just be like, you're toxic, like get out of here. And they would end up like leaving me. And the realization came when the pain of being that way became greater than the pain of change. That was the, the big moment for me is when I was like, wow, am I really going to go the rest of my life? And I'm only in my early 20s being this angry and this miserable and not getting what I want and blaming everyone else. Or am I going to at least have faith to be open to the idea that there's another way to go through life and that I'm actually wrong? Maybe the world isn't so bad. Maybe I can become better. Like, What would someone who is happy believe? What would they think? And this led me into self-help books. This led me into following people like Tony Robbins 
Gary Vaynerchuk and trying to, instead of saying those guys are lucky, I'm going to say, well, what if they weren't like just, what if they weren't, what if they weren't lucky at all? And they worked on themselves and they had this outlook of life that was different from mine. And I was only able to make that transition and that pivot when I told myself the pain of changing and questioning my own beliefs is no longer greater than the pain of staying the same and never getting what I want. And that's similar. Like I think about, I don't know if this, you'd have to let me know if I'm on base here with you going to jail. I wonder if there's a certain level of like pain that you associated when you're like, wow, like this is like, you have nothing like in that moment, you're just in jail. Like you said, everything's covered and you're sitting there, but you don't have, you know, your freedom. You don't have, the incredible people that you want to spend your time with. You don't have a, like that family there with you every day. You're, you're by yourself. And that, that potentially the pain that might come from that would cause you to like shift your thinking and say, this isn't what I want for the rest of my life. Or in the case of your, your mother, maybe there's not enough pain associated with like her finances just being kind of on the edge where like think you have some good months, you have some bad months, but there's, it's not like you're on the bridge of or the verge of bankruptcy every day. If um, when we have like we accept this little pain throughout the day all the time, but until the pain gets so great, we never make that change. I'm wondering if that's something that you resonate with and that's something that came uh, that you experienced in your story. You just said it. You literally just said it. I was listening and there were a few moments where I was going to cut you off and say, yep, that was it. Yep, that was it. But no, none of those moments that I was feeling were as grand and as great as what you just said at the very end. My mother, my fiance, who's in the other room, and she, I love her, and she listens to this podcast, friends that I have, I tell them all the time, you, dude, you fucking just nailed it. The pain that I felt, the embarrassment that I felt, the resentment for myself, I was disgusted of who I was looking at in the mirror. It was so bad that I literally mentally erased everything that I was in that moment and I created this new human being and it was it was that deep for me it was that painful for me that I had to go through that process of doing that in my mother's case maybe in my fiance's case at times maybe they haven't felt that yet maybe life hasn't been maybe maybe the tears of you know because I you know and I'll get I'll get graphic here like I've literally walked into the house with my mom crying in tears counting quarters and pennies and nickels and dimes to give my mother enough lunch school you know lunch for school the next day i mean i'm talking real shit here but for whatever reason right who are we to judge right this isn't you know that wasn't painful enough to be like starting over is a choice happiness is a choice da, 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 you know all the things that i think i started in my process for whatever reason, you're right. Going to jail was embarrassing enough, was fucked up enough, was dreadful enough, was depressing enough, was deep enough where I was like, that's it. No more. Uh, what the fuck? <laughs> um, there needs to be a recalibration. There needs to be a reframing here. And I think we all have those moments. I think it's very similar to the fight or flight mechanism that we all have in our, in our bodies and our brains. Um, I think it's very similar to the stories you hear of, of 45 year old housewives that have picked up the back of, you know, 6,000 pound vehicles when their kids were stuck under a tire. Like, like there are moments in life where 
things are so treacherous and so fucked up that you say, that's it. That's enough. It's very similar to weight loss. It's very similar to, you know, and a less lesser variable, you know, being a leader inside of a company and loving your employees so much. You just keep giving them chance after chance after chance after chance after chance. There's there's always that moment where you're like, yep, that was the last strike. You're out. Yep, that was the last Twinkie I'm going to eat. It's time to change. Yep, that was the last time I would. And I'm, I'm never going to keep going through these moments. Once I get out of jail, I'm never looking back and I'm going to do something different. Yep, that was the last time I'm going to make a irresponsible purchase and only have $12 to my name or, or, or not work hard enough to get to this next level. Whatever it's going to be, there's that there's that moment. And, and so to your to answer your question, tell him that that was that for me, that was that going to jail, experiencing what I felt it was it was it was painful enough. And uh so yeah, that was it. Yeah, that was it, dude. Definitely. And and you know, you know, being totally honest with you here, Anthony, people sometimes think I'm totally nuts because we just talked about how like you when you experience so much pain, it'll course correct your life and you get these incredible stories that come out of it. Like your your story of going to jail and now hearing about your values, I find it to be a very inspiring story. I'm like, damn, that's someone I can look up to. So when people are going through that moment and they're at their lowest. And they're sitting there saying, I'm so broken, like something needs to change. I can't help but just look at those people and say, you are like, I'm so happy for you. And they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, my life is in shambles. I'm like, no, I'm so happy for you because you're at the beginning of a journey that's going to change the trajectory of your life. And you now have the potential to overcome this obstacle and inspire so many fucking people. And it's just that they don't have the wisdom to see it yet. They, they're not quite there yet, but if they make the right choices, they are like a total inspiration in the making. Hey, I want to call something out here on a time check. Um, I'm feeling so good about this conversation that, and I want to respect your, your time tonight and I want to respect mine. We're definitely going to do a part two within the next seven day period of time. I'm going to edit and re- I mean, we're not going to stop here. We're going to talk for another 10 minutes. We're going to, if you're open to it, we're going to finish this conversation up um, and a few other things. And then we're going to do a part two, if you're down for it and, and, and do like a two hour, two and a half hour lengthy. Cause there's a lot that I think I'm just feeling the energy that we could just continue to just go down these little rabbit holes. And I mean, I'm going through your, I, I pulled off like seven of your tweets. You know, we haven't even gotten to any of the topics yet. I mean, this, this could be a very helpful, thoughtful conversation that could be really interesting and a different piece of content for your audience. I know my listeners would appreciate it. Are you down to do a part two and then in, in the next 48 to 72 hours? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it, man. I'm 110% down. I'm, I'm vibing just as much as you are. I'm ready to keep All right, going. Perfect. So we'll rock for another 10 minutes or so. Then we'll do a part two. Um, and we'll keep it, keep the energy going that way. Let me pull off one of your topics here and, uh, and get your thoughts on this. Because they were very ad hoc, the listeners know that's the that's the entire structure of the of the of the podcast here. Anger is not impressive or tough; it's a mistake. It's weakness. I actually didn't put this topic in here, so that's very. This is the first time I've actually reading. This is the first time we've ever actually talked about this on the podcast. So I'm going to read it again, and I want to get your very first thoughts when you saw this topic and what your thoughts are. Just reading it right now. Anger is not impressive or tough. It's a mistake. It's weakness. What comes to mind first and why did you pick this topic? 
So what comes to mind is I don't actually think that anger is necessarily weakness. I think that this question has like a part two to it that needs to be answered or this statement, sorry, has a question or a part two that needs to be answered. And it's that emotions are only a weakness when we react to them in negative ways. And I instantly in my mind thought about the idea of emotional control. And I think when people talk about emotional control, they assume that that person controls their emotions. Like, I feel like being happy right now. I feel like being sad. I feel like being angry. And to some degree, there might be a little bit of truth there. Like anyone who's done visualization or just spent like maybe 30 minutes thinking about something that they really love, like spending time with their family, living their dream life, being on a vacation, you can color your emotions and like influence them to a degree. But a lot of times in life, like emotions just come and go. I don't really believe that we control them, but I also think what we do with them determines our character. Like emotional control is huge. And not even just with anger, but with anything. When an emotion comes up, we can either feel it, which we tend to do with really happy emotions, and they're very fleeting. Like happiness feels good and then it's gone. Sadness tends to linger, anger tends to linger. And we, we really sit with them and we react to them. We go around and we tell people like, yeah, I'm really upset or we're really angry. So we lash out on our partner. But I do believe that there's a way that you can train yourself to create a delay between feeling the emotion and having the reaction to it. And if you can work on that ability, that emotional intelligence, we'll call it, to say, I feel angry. I'm not going to push it down because if I do, it's going to come back with a vengeance. That'd be psychological repression. I'm going to feel it, but while feeling it, I'm not going to allow it to influence my actions. And I thought that's why it was so such a great statement when it says, essentially, anger is weakness. My thought was feeling angry and reacting to it and blowing up on people and taking it out on other people would be a weakness of character. But to be able to feel your anger and channel it into like a workout or channel it into becoming successful or even just actually have the courage and the bravery to sit in it and say, I'm going to allow myself to be angry and I'm going to feel it fully knowing that the emotion is going to go away, but not react and do something negative to the world. And that was the first thing that came to mind when I read that statement. Yeah. Similar thoughts came to my mind when I read it as well. Um, I think for me, and then we'll close out part one here on this, on this note, I think for me, when I think about this question and this statement, I find myself I find myself needing to, like you said, recognize and pay attention to the fact that I am angry and give that give that the respect that I think it deserves, but don't don't but but I try to not allow it to pull or take from anyone else. Um, this is a random thing that I, I guess I can tell you because I'm feeling comfortable. Um, I'm someone that takes psychedelics very seriously from like a like a from like a strategic navigation of the mind type of way so uh, i'm a big fan of weed i'm a big fan of 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 mushrooms um um in a way that is very internal based where i'll do them literally to just sit with three friends and and have conversations and unpack and unpack and unpack and i think by doing those drugs in a very introspective type way i've realized and understood that when i'm angry about something instead of being reactionary and and extracting happiness from others around me i need to go internal i need to find 
where the anger is coming from. Is it, is it, is it, do I have a misalignment with empathy with someone? Do I have a misalignment with, 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 am I misaligned with who I even think that I am? Like, is there another story trying to play that's trying to break into the original framework of the story that I actually want to live in? Am I, you know, am I, am I feeling hurt? Am I sad? Am I, am I, am I, am I confused about something? Uh, I do find myself having to channel that and, and go deep. And I think a lot of people are afraid to do that deep work. They just are very reactionary. And for me, and I know this is, you know, listen, don't want to get quote unquote canceled, whatever the fuck that means. Um, this is no disclaimer to tell any human being to do shrooms <laughs> or do anything like that. But, but this is a, a moment where if it's going to be shrooms or it's going to be a nice long conversation with someone that's thoughtful like yourself, learning how to go in and not be afraid of going in is probably a really, really good idea. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's so much there that we could touch on. Like, um, yeah, I, I just, I completely resonate with every single thing that you said, even like questioning the emotion, like, where does this come from? Like a lot of times we just attach like instant blame to our emotions. Like we feel sad, Oh, it's my partner's fault. We feel angry. Oh, it's this person's fault. And we just take it out on them. But we don't take the time to sit there and think, where does this emotion come from? And is there something that I can work on? Like what, what, whatever triggers it, there's work to be done there. And I think that people don't want to do it because it's really painful. Like it's, it's really easy. I want to say it's easy to have ego, even though ego <laughs> might not set up like the easiest life if we have too much ego. But it's not the easiest thing to sit there and say, you know, I'm sad because of something that I did. And it's, it's in my own inadequacies of not being able to get what I want that I feel sad. And there's a disempowering way to look at that and to get down on yourself. But there's another way to say this emotion's coming from something within my control. And that's what I should focus on. And that's what I should overcome. And to be candid with you, I have, I have quite a bit of experiences myself with psychedelics, um, mushrooms and LSD in particular. And they, they've been extremely eye-opening for me. And I've even wondered back to the first time I took them when I was quite young, if that's what set me down the path to be more thoughtful and uh, live my life more by design. Now, I remember the first time I did it, it, it kind of like snapped me out of like a daze where I felt like I was living my life just by default, just whatever I was feeling like doing, I was doing, I wasn't given anything that much thought. I was just going through life, just reacting to everything. And I remember doing mushrooms and it was like, I got just hit with like, whoa, wait, what am I even doing? And maybe that's where, like, maybe that's what kicked me onto my path of starting to question things a little more and question myself and be a little more thoughtful. Um, but it, it sounds like that's a that's a topic maybe we'll have to get to in part two. Is that that could be a big part of it? That's where we're gonna pick right off. We're gonna pick right at right back off talking about streams and in uh, <laughs> some conversations there. But look, man, I appreciate you. Thank you again for being ad hoc. Part two is gonna be on the way very shortly. Here, um, this is what I'll do. I got a jet, but I'm gonna send you an email so that we can start to coordinate um, the date for for part two. Um, if I mean, if if you really want to get crazy, we can figure out some time tonight, which I don't think is probably a good idea for my fiance. Um, but tomorrow, throughout the rest of this week, we can find some time. And uh, I'm really looking forward to part two because I know for a fact it's going to be a great conversation. So um, 
thank you so much for part one thus far. Thank you so much for, again, just being a great guest. And um, do me a quick favor. At the top, you're going to see that uploading sign. It says 99%. When I click stop here, do not just immediately hang up. Give it about 15 seconds, and then there's going to be some confetti that goes off. And uh, I tell every guest that so we don't lose the lose the file here. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, no problem. All right. Thanks so much, though, brother. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. It's been an incredible conversation. And likewise, I'm looking forward to part two. I think we're, we're going to talk about some really valuable stuff. And I hope your audience enjoys Perfect. it. This was an amazing, amazing, amazing conversation. I am so fucking thrilled, so fucking pumped up, so fucking honored to even have the opportunity to record and conduct a part two. So get ready. Part two is coming soon. Thanks a lot.